Exodus chapter 2, 11 to 25. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Glancing this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters. They came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to rule their father, he asked them, why have you returned so early? They answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. Where is he? He asked his daughters, why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter, Zephorah, to Moses in marriage. Zephorah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become an alien in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out in their cry for help because of the slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Here ends the reading. Morning, everyone. Sorry to disappoint you. It's always disappointing when I take off my mask for people. Uh, let's pray. Uh, gracious Father, we thank you that uh, you speak to us. You brought us your word. We can hear it. We can understand it. And we ask you to help us. Help us to know, to listen, to be corrected, to change, to be encouraged. We ask all these things, and I ask that you would keep me from error. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's nice to be with you. Uh, I've been away, as you know, and uh, my voice is a little bit thingy, thin, so excuse me while I just wet the whistle, as they say. 
In 2006, uh, did anyone remember 2006? Were you around in 2006? I was around in 2006. Uh, the Beaconsfield mining disaster. Do you remember that? I remember I was, it was 2006 and I remember everyone was really concerned, frantic really, that would Brant Webb and Todd Russell, would, who were trapped a kilometre below ground in that gold mine disaster, would they be okay? 48 hours sort of went past and we're still waiting and waiting. And I remember even I tuned in. I not do, don't usually do these things, but Channel 7, Channel 9, one of those channels, had a live. Do you, did anyone tune in live and watch the mine site? Did you remember doing that? Here's the screen. It sort of, in it goes, and there we are. And I remember tuning in, and uh, actually the Daily Telegraph had a, a website, and you could watch the live feed, now I remember. And uh, I remember tuning in, and I looked and nothing was happening. And then I would come back five minutes later and a little man would get up and wander across, but nothing was happening. And then about an hour later, I'd come back to the computer and the website and I'd tune in and I'd look what was happening. Nothing. There was Nothing visibly happening. What happened? Do you remember that disaster? What happened if you were there? You weren't there. Were you there, Bill? They were saved, weren't they? They were rescued. But minute after minute, as I tuned in, as I looked at the side of where these two men were trapped a kilometre below ground, and I looked for the action, what did I see? I saw nothing. <laughs> it's the same thing that's going on in Exodus, believe it or not. Chapter 1 and Chapter 2. We're actually doing two chapters today. Four generations have come and gone. Abraham's great-grandchildren are here, but they're in a tight spot. And we're going to look at Chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, and you're going to see that there is good news and bad news says, Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. That's really good news. Abram had received the promise from God. What was one of the promises that Abram received? As numerous as the stars would be his descendants. Here in Exodus chapter 1, God's promise is starting to happen and be fulfilled. They are exceedingly numerous, we're told. But there's bad news. So that was the good news, but there's bad news. The bad news is the Egyptians don't like it. The Israelites, uh, excuse this, it's a bit, I think they're breeding like rabbits. I think that's, uh, sorry, Joyce, I didn't mean to, I know that's a, a bit crude, really. And Pharaoh is not happy. 
and he says it's got to stop. Verse 8 and 9. And I'm going to paraphrase it for you. Look, we've got to do something about this or there'll be more of them than all of us. They'll buy all the best real estate. They'll start putting up signs in Hebrew that we can't even read and there won't be any room on the beaches and they'll take over the place. That's Keith's reading of 1, 8, 9, and I realise that's not very good at all. They're not happy. That's the bad news. In verse 11, they are oppressed and they're forced, that's the Israelites, Pharaoh oppresses them and forces them to build those two cities, Pithom, which I never know how to pronounce, and Ramses. Life for the Israelites seems good, seems plentiful, but it's actually a bit of a misery. Lots of descendants, but they're oppressed. It's a, and they are a long way from where God said he would give them a land. And so they're crying out to God because God promised more than this. The question behind chapter 1 is what on earth is God doing? They're sitting there in slavery and oppression and it gets worse, doesn't it? Pharaoh says that each baby boy should be drowned, should be killed. Can you imagine being a Hebrew mother and father, a parent? And so the question is, what on earth is God doing? It's a significant question because it's actually one that resonates with us because it doesn't matter whether it, we're talking Moses or your life, the truth is we can say to ourselves, what on earth is God doing? The world has not really changed. It's quite difficult. It can be deadly, as we've seen on our TV screens and read on our computers because we don't buy newspapers anymore. The world hasn't changed. It's a very question that goes to the heart of who you and I are. What on earth is God doing? Our second point where the answer begins to come is a baby boy in an ark. Moses is born. He comes into the story as one of the, one of the children who are under threat. And the terror of that infanticide, which is a fancy word we put around when we want to say things like everyone running around killing newborn children. When Moses couldn't be hidden any longer, his mother did something I suspect was quite desperate. Verse 3 of chapter 2. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. It's a remarkable twist, isn't it? 
that who finds this baby? It's Pharaoh's daughter. Strolling by the very river where the children are meant to be thrown. And Pharaoh's daughter sees the basket, opens it, and sees the baby who is crying. She has a heart full of mercy, even though she knows this is a Hebrew boy. Moses' sister, who is very bold, approaches Pharaoh and says, shall I go and get you one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? What is the answer we expect there? Surprisingly, the answer is yes. Remarkably, the answer is yes. And Moses' own mother is reunited with the baby, her baby boy. And Moses is taken into Pharaoh's own home. Now, is there something about this passage you've noticed so far? Would you believe the word God, Lord, has not been mentioned yet in the story? Yet his hand seems quite obvious to us in it. Moses survives. But again, we note Moses survives while we assume many did not. The writer, Moses, who writes his story, his own story, we do not see any concentration on the other children, but we focus in on this story. As a chaplain, I, uh, I bumped into lots of Christians from all over the place, and I really didn't matter where they came from. I noticed that they liked one thing often. They liked very happy stories, very happy stories about their selves. I noticed the tension in me that actually I liked happy stories. This is a complicated story. And the truth is, life is quite complicated. But what Exodus 2 is telling us, what Exodus 1 is telling us, that God doesn't seem to be around at times. He might not be seen working at that on that cold web mind site in our lives. God is there. And he is in control, no matter what happens. Pharaoh is the evil tyrant in this story, and he's doing the evil things, but he is not in control. It is the Lord who is in control. Later on, a baby will come into the world, and he will be the one whose life will also be under threat. And he survives as well. That baby is Jesus. Despite the evil of the world, Exodus 1 and 2, and this short bit that we've done, reminds us that God is at work in our world, even if you can't see him, and that God is in control. His will will not be thwarted. But the boy grows up is our third point. What will he be like? 
But we see in verse 11, Moses shows us something of what he is like. He is a man who wants to stand up for justice for his own people. He cares about them. He sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew because they are slaves. They are oppressed. And this isn't a nice workplace. This is slavery. And they beat. He stops the Egyptian from beating him and he kills the Egyptian. He kills the Egyptian and then hides his body in the sand. There's no comment about the righteousness of that action. It's just there. The next day, in 2.13, chapter 2, verse 13, he sees two Hebrew people, men, we assume, fighting. And he takes the side of the one who is getting bashed up. And he says, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? Remember, he's, you know, behind that he's saying, remember, we're all oppressed here. Why are we fighting and beating up on him? And then he gets the rebuke, the rebuttal. Who made you ruler over of us in verse 14? Will you kill me as well? Shattering to his world. Here he is. His secret is everywhere. His own reject him. And we're going to remember and see that again in this story, how the own, his own people do not receive him well. And verse 15 tells us something really awful. Pharaoh knows about it. And now that he knows about it, he wants Moses dead. What is God doing? He has to flee. Moses flees to Midian. He has to get far away. How can he help now? How will, what earthly good will he be? Do you have a, you have those of us who are married, do you have a story about where you met? Anyone? Anyone do a, a well? Anyone meet by a well? Lake? the local swimming pool, any body of water. Well, apparently the patriarchs met their wives normally at wells, and that's what happens to Moses. Isaac, Jacob, Judah go to a well and they find their wives. So with Moses. Her name is a name that uh, I've always found can't pronounce, I keep calling her Zipporah because I, I like that more than Zipporah. And the next thing we're told is he's married, he has a son, but his son's name reminds us exactly of this problem. What on earth is God doing? What does Gershom's name mean? His son's name means I have become an alien in a foreign land. You look at what's going on in the story. You're invited to ask the question, what on earth is God doing? Events take their course. Disappointments come. And much worse. 
As we look at these two stories, two chapters of Exodus, we're reminded of our own lives and reminded of how disappointments come, how things go wrong, how difficulties rise up and we think, what is God doing? Where is he in this, our, our lives? Why is this happening to me? It can be very hard to see the hand of God on our lives some of the time, maybe most of the time. But the point of Exodus 1 and 2 that we bring today is that God is there. He will always be there. We need to be assured that even when things aren't going well, sometimes going disastrously, God is there. There are questions that our lives may raise that Moses' life raises. Those questions may not always be answered as they are not answered in these two chapters. What happened to the children? is not answered. But what is answered is the assurance that God is there. He's aware, he knows, and you are not alone. We are not forgotten. Because Exodus chapter 2, verse 24, is a wonderful verse. God heard their groaning, remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. If God knows, we can say, has he forgotten? They are asking, has he forgotten his promises? But the text, the word of God assures us that God is there and his promises are sure. It's the first mention, chapter 2, verse 24, of God in this book. And it doesn't mean that God has been silent or absent, but there. He has been there all the time. He will be with them all their time. He will be with Moses, whether he is in Egypt or Midian or on the way to the promised land. God's promises are sure. Just because people suffer doesn't mean that God has forgotten them. God's promises to us in the person of the Lord Jesus are sure, and God does not forget. God is faithful to us. He is in control, and he will never leave us. That's what is being declared in Exodus chapter 1 and 2. Through all the story and all the intricacies and the twists and the turns, God is sure and his certainty of his promises surround them and us. There's many examples of history where people have complicated, tragic lives History is made up of people's lives and their stories. God is faithful to his promises. 
Despite what is going on in people's lives, God's word, his faithfulness stands true. And thirdly, God cares. In this story, so far, and when I say story, please don't hear me make, say made up. I don't mean that. In the, in the tale as it is, comes, as God's word unfolds, we find that terrible things happen. But that doesn't mean God doesn't care. God does not forget his promises. But God in his own time and in his own way answers. We read uh, Acts chapter 7. And uh, I don't know about you, but I always think, wow, there is Stephen. And he is a mighty man of God. And yet he is cut down before he even gets going, really. What on earth is God doing would have been the cry. What is happening here? God is in control. Despite all the things that go on in our world, God is in control and he is faithful to his promises. He is always at work in his world and whatever happens to you, to your family, to all those things that happen to us in this world, God will never leave you. That is what God promised. That is what is God fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And as we heard in the children's talk, God gave us his spirit that Jesus promised that I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Despite your experiences, despite Moses' experiences, God is faithful. Faith in chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we see, that do not see. My experience does not change God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness to us in his word is demonstrated most wonderfully and securely and fully in the person of the Lord Jesus. He's promised to be with you always. My experiences, my tragedies, my needs, my disappointments, they won't change that. God is at work in your life. My inability to see him at work doesn't change that fact. That's what Exodus 1 and 2 is telling us. What is God doing? God has sent his son. God has saved you because he's good pleasure to do so. We rejoice and thank him and his precious people are always safe in his loving, grace-filled care. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, Exodus 1 and 2 is uh, really very familiar stories perhaps to most of us, to many of us. Lord, we just pray that we would be familiar again with the truth of your love for us in Jesus, your faithfulness to your promises. We're all over the place. We realise that uh, our emotions can run wild, that our 
We can be led astray by what we're experiencing. We can really be thinking all sorts of thoughts. But, Lord, please help us. Please teach us. Please reassure us and encourage us that you are always there, that you are always at work in our lives, that in Jesus we have every promise fulfilled and you've given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Lord, despite what's happened, we pray that we might know of your love for us. Reassure us, comfort us, strengthen us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.